Hey, this is Ryan Chapman with Fix Your Funnel interview series. I'm really privileged to have a good friend of mine, Jeb Bland. Jeb, welcome. Jeb's from uh, Savage Beast Marketing. I love that name. <laughs> it's a popular today, yeah. Thanks for coming on today. Oh, no problem. Now, this is going to be a controversial episode because we're going we're gonna to be talking about some stuff that I think a lot of people aren't. You know, it's, it ruffles the con conventional feathers, so to speak, because we're going to be talking about... Um, what people take for granted and uh, what we want to question, right? Which is what is actually the best way to communicate with people today in 2020? I think this was a totally different discussion. When did you get started first in marketing automation or marketing in terms of communication, stuff like that? It's been a while, huh? It, it has been. I, I actually got my start about uh, 24 years ago. Um, I was working. Okay, so for 24 years ago, we're 96. Yeah. yeah. So that's like the internet's really starting. Yep. There's and maybe like a hundred thousand people on it or something. <laughs> well, it was really starting to build steam, and people were starting to get told like, you have to have a website. You have to have a website. It's your 24. Were you hours. getting like America Online discs or CDs at that point? <laughs> I believe that they were still floppies. I think that that's about when they switched over to CDs. Uh huh. Um, and there was all sorts of players that just don't aren't big players anymore. I mean, everybody was running compact computers, and yeah, you know, the, it was a different time. And we were so excited when the internet hit fourteen point four baud speed. Yeah. Um, you know, it was uh, we were starting to see some fun things with T1 lines and and some wireless services and stuff, but it was really kind of the jungle back then. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, different they, from today. I remember um, when Star Wars Episode One came out, mm -hmm. and I, my son, who's now like 23, you know, he was like six months old, and we we're like, oh, there's a trailer online. And it yeah. took four hours to download the trailer. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a minute and a half. Yeah. But it took four hours to download the trailer. That, that was like the speed of internet. It was crazy. And, and so what was happening is, is that you had this big dichotomy where everybody wanted to put all the stuff on the web. But the more you put on it, I mean, website speeds are still a thing, but not nearly like they were. Um, and then as soon as everybody figured out they could get higher speeds, which back then would be you know, 256 yeah. K, whatever it was. Unbelievable. Then they, started, then they started messing around with Flash and that slowed the whole thing down again. <laughs> it was really a crazy time. But what's amazing to me is that we started, you know, through the 90s, we're really starting to develop our web presence. And people still feel that way. They still kind of start with that position now. They still feel like, like, Oh, you know, this has been the way for 25 years. Have to get a website up. Have to put everything sure. up on the web. I mean, if we go back 50 years, that was the equivalent of okay, you're starting a business. You got to get your yellow page. Yeah, and you know what I mean. Yeah, really, that's what the website was replacing was the yellow pages. It was yeah. a place where you could have that advertisement for your business that people could look you up and find you, and you know that's how it was done back then. Yeah, it was, and we were using. You know, meta keywords mattered a lot more. Um, yeah. Your SEO was critical because you had these new things called search engines. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, if you didn't get found on them, I remember that, um, oh, what is it? It's, I think it's still around. It's like mod or something like that. 
there, there was a, a group and if you didn't submit your website to that group, nobody was going to find you at all. Oh, oh yeah. Um, oh goodness. It is actually still around. Um, yeah. I saw it the other day. That's where most of your, your people that were the gurus of internet marketing started. It is. And if, if they didn't start there, they're like a second generation from that person who started there, mm -hmm. right? There's lots of up and coming people that have brilliant ideas and are doing great things. But a lot of them were trained by somebody who was like a you, you know, that yeah. was a dinosaur in the beginning, you know, so to speak, <laughs> you know, creating web pages or whatever. And, and that was like the thing to do. One of the things I benefited from back then really, and that, that helps now is that um, I, I had worked for years as a professional photographer and okay. of course I go back far enough to have learned on film in the dark room. Yeah. And so I was still a working professional photographer when digital came out and that transition was amazingly difficult. Um, because the problem was, is that film photographers were looking at all these digital photographers and going like, what's going on, you know, they're building these huge businesses, they're eating our lunch, you know, because and they're able to quality is inferior and yeah. And I think we're actually going through something similar now is that we have a whole bunch of people that are kind of in, um, I guess my age group, maybe even a little older, um, that they learned that there are these certain steps you had to take to build an online presence. And it was usually predicated on a business that, that, that was based in brick and mortar whether it was out of their house or in an actual storefront. And now we're watching this thing called influencers happen or thought leadership. And those folks aren't necessarily having to take all those same steps. They're, they're skipping a lot of them and just kind of plowing ahead. Well, let, let's explicitly state some, what some of those steps are because um, I was having a discussion with Darcy from um, Dan Kennedy's organization and she was talking about, you know, they're doing trainings, talking about marketing and some of these fundamentals like, okay, do you have something to offer that's like a first step for people to take towards getting to know your company better, which I think is, I think that fundamental stays, mm -hmm. you know, is, is having some sort of offer to get contact information. I think that's still a thing, even though there's a lot of people are skipping that entirely. I think we'll, during this, this discussion, we will talk about why that's still an important thing. But we're not going to keep everything that we used to do. But, you know, one of the things she said is that then we got to get them a website, a landing page, and, you know, they, they got to do these things. And these are huge technical hurdles for many people. They are. I they mean, are. it's something you and I maybe we don't even think twice about. But for many people, like I, I, I get this reality check when I'm like talking to my wife and, you know, she's doing some stuff and she's like, okay, I need a website. And like, I'm like, oh, well, then just throw one up. She's like, what are you talking about? I need you to build it. And I'm like, oh gosh, let me see if I can get around to it. You know, but the, it is a huge hurdle for many people to do this. But the question is, you know, is that even necessary? And let's not answer that one yet. Let's just put the website to the side and say, okay, website is a traditional thing. You've got to have a website. Yeah. I think it goes without saying that most um, internet marketing people say, oh, you got to have a website. We're going to question and destroy that one in just a second. What's the yeah. next thing that everybody says you got to have? Well, I think they think about branding. Um, you know, they have to have some sort of branding. And what's interesting to me is that branding traditionally has always meant things like logo appearance, color, imagery, you know, that sort of thing. Branding has been turned completely on its head now. 
Um, it's a completely different animal. Now logos are an afterthought, if they're even necessary at all. We can get into that later too. Sure. Um, but when I think about what we used to take businesses through, it was like, okay, define your business, what's your brand, and now we need to get you online. And then of course, later starting about really 20 years ago now, we started talking about these things like, we didn't call them social media. Back then we called it web 2.0. It was like your blog and maybe your MySpace page back then or Yahoo use groups or whatever. And so there was like this definite process to get them findable on the, online and to help them use the web for their marketing and connection. And then you had things like, um, I remember when I first started doing some email stuff for me, you know, I, I was probably late to the game and stuff, but in 2006, it was actually a software that I ran on my computer that sent the emails out to the, the group. And then I discovered like one shopping cart and then there was MailChimp would come onto the scene and you started getting these CRMs or email services that you could collect email addresses into and then you could send out broadcast or campaigns of emails to people. Uh, and, and then people went, enough is enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what's interesting is, you know, I really got into the scene in that time, 2006, 2007, and we did a ton with email at the time. But if I were to compare the volume of email sent then to today, it's like a fraction like a small fraction of how much email because it also there weren't as many people online you had about yes. 300,000 a million people online worldwide or so it, back in 2006 because the, it was just computers yeah how many computers did you have to get on or maybe it's more than that maybe it's like 300 million sorry that's that was i sounded a little like biden there for a second but yeah. um like there's probably like 300 million people 400 million people on the internet in 2006. And, and I think as I think as a social media thing kind of took hold, they became a means of connection and they actually helped build the internet that we see now. Yeah. It's the, it was the attraction. I see Everybody, two things that happened almost simultaneously. It was the advent of the smartphone. Mm -hmm. So th that's born when Apple introduces the iPhone and then quickly on its tails, Android comes out. And then you, you have, at the same time, these social networks start getting momentum. Twitter, yeah. Facebook, and in an effort to grow their monthly average users, they start actually expanding the internet, to your point, yeah. and pushing it with smartphones to the whole world, basically. It's a fight for attention that's based on the platform. You know, Facebook mm -hmm. wants they're billions of users. Everybody wants to have that sort of attention because attention is how they grow their networks and increase their revenue. It's an attention, it's an attention play. And they will do whatever they think is necessary to, to protect that attention. So, and I guess this is kind of the fundamental point we're gonna be building off of, which is that the landscape of the internet and, and marketing online has changed dramatically from 20 years ago. Yes. But most of the rules that guide people's, okay, this is what you got to do, which is reinforced by software. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if we go look at CRMs, marketing automation platforms, you would be hard pressed to find one that isn't email centric. Yeah. 
you know, and some to the point where you can't create a contact without an email. Like that, those are your active campaigns, um, your drips, like their contact IDs are actually associated to an email address. Infusionsoft yeah. is a little more different because it, it's more of a CRM. So you could create a contact with just a phone number or an address mm -hmm. and you can then add an email after the fact. So they kind of have that difference. But most of them, the primary way that you communicate is through email. Yeah. Yeah. And, so and, that, and that kind of is an artifact of, because email was before the internet, right? Yeah, because uh, we had email accounts. Um, gosh, I can remember having an email account at NAU in like 1992 or 1993. Um, schools were big into it because they figured out they could use it to communicate with their students. Yeah. And so we had these really kind of obnoxious looking, very MS-DOS looking interfaces for email and chat. Sure. Um, and it just kind of all built off of that. And so that's the, that's the world that people like me kind of started to grow up through. Even though I was college age at the time, that's the baseline for everybody that was born in the mid 80s and later is email is just a fact of life. Then what inevitably happened is, is more and more email, email volume increases every year. Everybody who says email's dead is kind of fooling, kidding themselves. Um, but more and more of it's just not getting seen as a percentage. Yeah. And I, I, I am not a huge fan of email, but I'll never say that it's dead because it still has a place in the market, but the competition is getting overwhelming. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing how much email I get in a day and how much of it goes into a junk folder. Yeah, it reminds me of, um, well, I was working with one of our, our partners and they were trying to get an API added for another software that was part of their offering. And uh, he had emailed the guy three times. You know, the guy had said, yeah, let's get together. And he emailed him three times trying to confirm that connection and get a time scheduled. And he goes, I, the guy's just not responding. I think he's blowing me off. I said, well, do you have his mobile phone number? He goes, yeah. I go, we'll text him. Just like that, they connected. We had the meeting and it was fine. But the guy goes, oh, I'm so sorry. We get like 300 emails a day in that inbox. And I didn't even notice it. That's the, the level of competition you're talking about. Um, I know there are some people that will claim like 50, 60% engagement with email. But they are exceptional. And it's probably a, a very tight group where they've got great rapport with their list. Yeah. Um, for most businesses, 5% is pretty typical. 20% is phenomenal. Yeah. That's been my experience with email. I get pretty excited when an opt-in list hits like 30% or above. That, that's oh, yeah. that we're hitting just the right spot. If we're playing with money, right? If I gave you $100, $100 bills and I said, okay, give me 70 of those. I'm going to burn them. You would go, <laughs> what? This is terrible. And yet that's essentially what we're celebrating when we get 30%. We're saying 70% of the people that raised their hand said, hey, contact me about this are never seeing our message. And yeah. we go, wow, it's, it's actually a miracle. It is a true miracle that we can even have success at all when we're only connecting with you know, somewhere between five and 30% of the people who say, I'm interested in what you're talking about. Crazy. Isn't it funny how those low numbers are what's hitting us now? Like, um, you know, we're basically seeing 11 to 13% engagement on Facebook pages now. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of the... Now you're opening up the kind of the influencer, the network discussion. Yeah. Talk about that. Well, I think the influencers, I, I just, we use that as kind of a broad term, 
Sure. Um, sometimes influencers have a thousand followers. Um, sometimes they obviously they have millions. But to me, an influencer is somebody who's basically has built a following based on what they're doing on the platform, not so much what they're doing in everyday life. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's through story. Sometimes it's through, um, you know, Charlie D'Amelio or whatever her name is. She dances and has 85 million followers on TikTok. Um, and sometimes it's things like people sharing tips and things like that. But influencer to me is just anybody who has built or is building a following based on what they're doing specifically on that platform. Yeah. And so let's talk about the platform so people are clear on what we mean when we say a platform, because I think typically when we say influencer, people think of, you know, these people that are getting a following by doing silly stuff or stuff where like, oh, okay, whatever. And we're talking about Instagram usually or TikTok, right? Those are the kind of the places we're thinking. But you can you could have a following on YouTube. I know plenty of examples that have they're non-existent basically on all the other networks, but they have a huge yeah. following on YouTube, Twitter. It's interesting to find them too, because they'll be just in one place where they've really built up the following and they're yeah. almost unknown on the other ones. You have Twitter. Now here's some ones that people don't think about, but these are also networks that people become quote unquote influencers on Google maps. A and local business is, it becomes an influencer on Google maps because they generate reviews on there they get their business, the attention, right? Like I was talking to my brother this morning. He said, oh, I had to go to a chiropractor. I haven't gone to one since I moved. And so I said, well, let me, let me guess what you did. You went to Google Maps, you looked at the nearest ones, and then you looked at the reviews and you ended up choosing the one with the best reviews. That is an influencer on Google Maps. Yeah. We don't think of it that way, but that's essentially the same thing. Yelp is another network that people don't think about where someone's an influencer. They've got good reviews. They've established a network there. But what's the, what's the common thread with all of these, Jeb, that's kind of scary that people, because well, you get, if you get a following, Jeb, don't you get excited? Oh yeah, of course. If you, yeah. if anyone gets a following, you get super excited and you start not thinking about what's going on. You just are like, dude, people are following me. Uh, people are, you know, influenced by what I say and do. That's kind of exciting. Well, I think that some, a, a story was reminds me a few days ago, um, Back in the MySpace realm, there was a really popular influencer, and I think her name was Tila Katila Tequila or something like that. Um, and she had millions of followers on MySpace. The reason why most people haven't heard of her or consider her today is that was the entirety of her following was on MySpace. So when MySpace went essentially out of style, she yeah. lost her entire following. It people moved on to other platforms and she did not follow. And so as a result, I mean, I, I heard a story where now she's essentially begging for money where she was making quite a good living on MySpace before yeah. because everything was controlled and owned by that one entity. And in MySpace's case, you know, they just kind of lost it. Um, you know, Facebook came on board and a lot of things happened, but there were quite a few people like her that didn't adapt to the new, to the new platform. And more importantly, were reliant on those platforms for their entirety, the entirety of their business. They didn't have any other platform to work with. Um, they really, they didn't own anything. The irony is, is that, you know, they said they would say things like, oh, I have millions of followers. It's like, no, your, your profile actually has the followers. Your profile on that platform has the followers.
over the years, I've seen people build up huge followings on YouTube. And then for one reason or another, whether it's legitimate or not, have their YouTube channel shut down. Yeah. And <laughs> overnight they go from having an amazing business. Maybe they're monetized, maybe they're not. Mm -hmm. And overnight it can just get shut down. Yeah. And so this is, um, this is the, the problem with building followings on networks. It, now it's good. I wouldn't actually advise anybody not to do it. If you're building a following, fantastic. Yeah. And that could be a Facebook group. That could be a Facebook page. It could be, there's a lot of different places. You don't always have to own the whole thing to be an influencer on that. Yeah. I know people that are huge influencers in groups they have nothing to do with in terms of ownership or control. And they, and they benefit wildly from that situation. The, the problem is though, you're not in control of that network. Yeah. And so you're like, um, well, here's an interesting case. Now I'm not going to get into the politics of it, but there's that lady that was do, that owned the, the hair salon that, um, you know, we had a politician come into yeah. and then that video was shared and then people destroyed her Yelp profile, just destroyed yeah. it. Right. Yeah. Because they didn't agree with the politics of the situation. And there's been several of those over the last four years as politics have become more divided and stuff. Somebody, you know, in business makes a political statement and the other side just destroys one of their profiles and one of these networks, which was what they relied upon for the mm -hmm. health and strength of their business. And because they have no other connection to the people, now they've, they've lost all their options. Yeah. And so- I know somebody that actually had a, a really good Facebook thing going and um, she got a little controversial in what she was sharing, uh -huh. um, but Facebook was the backbone of how she was making a quarter of a million dollars a year net. She had a good living coming off of using her Facebook groups and back in February, they were deleted because she allowed some real controversial things to come in. And, you know, people don't seem to realize that, and we see this all over where those platforms, they have their own rules and they can enforce those rules with impunity. Sometimes they make sense, sometimes they don't, but remember they're after attention to their platform. They have no interest in maintaining anything on that platform they feel is damaging to the overall attention. It's, it's, it's a bad funny. thing when that happens. She basically has to start completely over. And it doesn't even have to be your fault necessarily. It could be somebody no. else that, that comments or posts something that is, you know, offensive to the platform and they just decide to associate you with it and you're gone for that too. So it's not like it's something you can just prevent by not stepping in certain areas. I've seen people for all sorts of reasons be removed from these networks. And the bottom line is you just don't have that control. I know a guy that had a wildly popular YouTube channel, millions and millions of, of subscribers on it. And just like that, 10 years of video content removed overnight wow basically deleted him from the internet so to speak and so th what, what the whole point to all this is that you have to build your own network so to speak even if it's on the back of another one and i actually warned that one guy i was like you know you're pretty interesting but i can see where you could get somebody upset because you're talking about logic and reason and stuff you're probably yeah. gonna at some point offend somebody you should probably start building your own network and they're like, yeah, yeah. And they're kind of casual about it. Two years later, they're gone. And so this is, um, this is a real thing to be aware of. 
Now, if you're not an influencer, maybe you just have a local business and that local business, you know, you've built up reviews on Google or on Yelp. Those are still networks. You have to be aware of that. I was just talking to Jeb about a partner that we had just in February of 2020 started working with restaurants, you know, to help them build their own network, you know, start collecting uh, phone numbers of the people that were dining in the restaurant so that they would have a way to communicate with other businesses. February of 2020. I mean, the timing couldn't have been worse because one month later that partner had no business to do because all these local restaurants were shut down. Yeah. And, and it was too late. It was too late. So they had, they relied upon a network and they could not communicate effectively through those networks with the individuals who had been relying upon their business. The people just would assume, oh, they're shut down. And it had they collected their own network, they could have sent a text out to all of their customers saying, hey, we've transitioned, we're doing this to keep things safe, whatever. You know, they could have posted a video on social media, pushed people yeah. to the video, explained, here's what we're doing, here's how we're doing it. You know, you can still order online, you can call us or text us to order, whatever, you know. That, that would have been allowed them to then potentially survive those six months that we've seen well, I think it's something like 60% of small businesses on Yelp that shut down because of COVID yeah. are not opening back up. It was, it was a decimation in, in uh, fields like dentistry, chiropractic. I mean, a lot of them lost 95% of their business with the snap of a finger. Yeah. Down to the network, right? Yeah. Did exactly. you have your own network yeah. to communicate with your customers, patients, clients? Yeah. And so the, my, the argument I was making with Jeb, and Jeb's like, we need to talk about this. And Jeb, you go ahead and share your insights and thoughts on this. And you can disagree with me entirely if you think I'm off base. That, that would make it more interesting, in fact. But <laughs> my whole argument is that if you're under a million dollars in annual revenue, that you can get by on social media and your own list. You don't need a website. I don't even think you need to collect email addresses. This is just me, though. I would collect them just because, but I wouldn't even necessarily use them. That's, that's how... I, I am so bullish on the power of connecting one-to-one -one through text messaging mm -hmm. and the tools that are available out there to allow this to happen, mm -hmm. that if I were starting a new company, I would set up a Facebook page, right? I'd, maybe I would get an Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> and, and these are simply destinations that can host my video content and yeah. my, my quote-unquote blog post. I wouldn't even mess around with the website because that's not even required anymore. And then I would, I, I would have a text keyword phone number call to action. And that's what I would run with. That's it. And it, the tools are so much simpler. Like I don't have to have any technical person. Like I'm a very technical person, Jeb. I write software and stuff. Yeah. Right. So yeah. obviously I could do all that stuff, but mm -hmm. if I were taking anybody that was like, Hey, I got a business. I know that they can text. I know that they can call. I know that they have a phone because 4 billion people have smartphones in the world right now. So, and so if they have those three things, well, they can have a social network on their phone. They don't even have to have a laptop. They can record video on their phone, post it to their, their social media as their place. You know, if they wanted to go YouTube, that's fine too. Post the video YouTube, send people directly to YouTube. You can write quite a bit in the, in the description. You know what yeah. I mean? And I don't have to have a, a web form. 
I might have an order form, but I could use Stripe for that. I could use PayPal. You know what I mean? I'm just saying, I think I could go until I got to a million dollars in annual revenue just with those three tools. I think that position is is right and maybe a little bit off. So yeah, good, fight with um, it. One th <laughs> so one of the things is is that a lot of it will depend on what sort of what sort of business you have. I think for a local service provider, they still will have to maintain something of a web presence. However, well, for, tell finding, me why, because I, I would I would debate that might not even be accurate. Because well, look at I've got if I'm local, I've got my Google Places. Mm -hmm. I can establish my hours there. Mm -hmm. I mean, the number one search engine for local business is actually not Google. It's Google Maps. And number yeah. two mm -hmm. is, is Apple Maps. And number three is Yelp. Yeah. That's my argument. So my contention is you could just be on those networks. I think that what you're missing respectfully in terms of a local service provider is a lot of their organic reach on the on those platforms do rely on what their web presence is okay now, it's not it's not everything i don't want to make it sound like it's not possible and you know a lot of people i think the the, the days of these five-figure websites i mean it's funny because the first website i was involved with actually cost one hundred twenty thousand dollars to build Unreal. Uh, that was back in the 90s but these ten thousand dollar even three thousand dollar websites i think those are becoming largely passe but a lot of what happens so what so, are you saying a wix or something like that no wix is still really ugly coding in my opinion okay. um, but like just let's just take a simple like elementary built wordpress site but the problem is is that a lot of what happens on google maps in particular and apple maps is kind of joining in though they use more of a yahoo type poll is that what happens online matters now interestingly enough I think we're going to get to the point where the website matters less and less because we've seen a flip in how much what happens on the net about your business influences the placement in that organic reach versus what you have in your website. It used to be it was like, well, it was 100%, then it became 90, 64. And now it looks like it's about 35% what's on your website versus what's going on about your business. And so, that 65% has power and social signals is powerful stuff. So if you have a really active business and things like that, but do you remember, do you remember when you said, and this was hundred percent correct, do you remember when you said that you had to have um, certain things to kind of prove that you're in business, Yeah. Um, you know, and the website is still one of those things that helps prove to those sites that, that you're in business. However, I'll say if you're not a local service company, uh, something that has local ties or whatever, where those positions matter, I'll agree with you completely that a website is, might be not nearly as necessary. Well, you uh, definitely have to have a domain name for yeah. you know, email, modern email marketing. Yeah. yeah, you have to have a domain Although, name. You know, like, to, so you have to have at least that, I'll yeah. say that. Having a real built out website or even a blog or anything like that is, I think, in the past. I think that's history um, or coming quickly um, where, you know, actually, I think the blog piece is becoming what what these search engines want to see is activity. So the blog is kind of the tool that a lot of people have used for activity. However, 
a lot of the numbers we're seeing right now is that your response on a social media network matters a lot more than whether or not you posted a blog. Yeah. So as an example, if you post a, if you post an article or a video or whatever that's been properly formatted on Facebook, Twitter, even TikTok's getting into the game, you know, and certainly LinkedIn is one of those things that's kind of coming back up. Um, any activity, shares, likes, comments, that sort of thing is a lot stronger than simply having a blog and posting an article. Um, sure. so I think that, I think that it's coming to where even local businesses won't, won't need something like a website or a minor web presence. But the other thing to consider is, is that the website, if you're relying, I think we're coming back around to the same thing. If you're relying on the website for your business, we're seeing, I mean, when the internet use exploded in March, we saw a lot of website downtime increase. Um, you know, things happen to websites, they break. Um, you know, they, they might be on a platform like a Wix. Everybody thinks Wix is super strong. Well, Wix could get bought out, go under. I mean, you're kind of stuck in the same sort of weird spot. And just the act of having the website, I think, is your core business philosophy. I think that's completely gone. Um, but I think that there's still that need, particularly in local service. Interesting. You know, when I have, um, I've worked with a number of people that were experts in reputation, mm -hmm. what they've told me is that what's really critical are a phone number. And that phone number needs to be the same everywhere. Yeah. They don't want to see different phone numbers for different places for the business. They, if you are local, an address needs to be consistent across the board. Pictures. Yeah. Pictures are a huge deal. If you don't have pictures, they got nothing to show, so they're not going to be pushing you to the top. Yep. Um, some descriptions and then finally getting into reviews. Videos, mm -hmm. if you got videos, that's great. Um, mm -hmm. Anything that kind of fills in all those areas on their app that they're going to show. So you get your hours in there, you get mm -hmm. in you know, your days of operation, these kind of things. You got to fill out the profile so that when yep. they show it, they don't look like they're empty. And, and, and that's really the thing. So, but, you know, having a website on there or not, you know, I, I still don't know how big of a deal it, it plays in it's, 2020. A lot of it depends on your competitive environment. So if you have, if you have competitors, again, this is going on a local service, local product sales, that sort of thing. If you have competitors that are checking all the boxes, you absolutely need to check all the boxes to compete. Um, if, you have a situation where, you know, like um, I'm dealing with this as a client actually over in uh, Oklahoma City, where his competition has really checked every box. They have websites, all their profiles built out, you know, all those sort of things. It's we're we're in a full out war to get him seen, and we're having great success by making sure we've checked all the boxes. Things like images on the profile, adding products and services to the profile. This is all talking about Google. Um, you know, and we're starting to see some movement versus a local business that I, that I've been, he's been a client of mine now for eight or nine years. That guy we've checked in my opinion, about half the boxes. Um, and he excels in local search because his competition is kind of old school. They're not really adapting to new it's ways. Of like the story of if you're in the forest with a bear, 
You just need to be faster than the other guy. So that's your argument is saying the website is only necessary really if that's what's needed to be faster than the other guy. Yeah. If that's a box you have to check, you know, a lot of what we do is, is based on strategy, based on competition. I'm starting to work with another local guy. He's actually a restaurant and he's really good at communicating through all the local foodie groups and things like that. Um, but one of the things that, that was discovered is, is that some of those things have so much noise that ironically, he'd never really developed his own list. Yes. Um, so he was really good with, the website's kind of rudimentary and things like that. He's got a fantastic reputation, but getting the word out, he's still having to work through these groups. Well, what's happened is, is that when all of a sudden all the restaurants are going, we need to get involved with the groups. Now there's so much more noise. He doesn't have a voice the way he, he did. doesn't have the reach and he doesn't own his and own. This is, this is the really important thing that people have to, to really focus in on is that even if you're doing good at leveraging networks, groups, mm -hmm. whatever the case may be, you can't assume that's always going to be the case. And that is the, the real Absolutely. lesson I hope people take from this conversation is yeah. If you've done something right, that's great. I'm, I'm really proud of you for doing it right. Don't assume it's always going to be there. Because if there's one thing that I've observed over my short time in business, is that nothing stays the same. Yeah. You know, MySpace was a huge deal. It was the only deal for a period of time. And now it yeah. doesn't exist in any meaningful way. Yeah. Um, you know, Facebook is huge, but it's even starting to see a decline. Mm -hmm. Instagram is, you know, growing rapidly. But it won't always be there either. You know, yeah. there, there will be a time, believe it or not, <clears throat> where some of these companies will disappear entirely. There will be some missteps, some shakeup, and there will be companies that will disappear entirely. When you go back to the early days of, of the telecoms in the United States, there was a time when there was a monopoly. Yeah. There was one company. And, and there probably was nothing on their radar that said, hey, this is going to change. And then government came in and broke it all up. And so you yeah. look at companies like Facebook and Google and, you know, you can go, oh man, these guys seem to own everything on the block. Yeah. That was the exact same place you found the Bell company when it got broken up by the government. And this was the same for oil when oil was new with Rockefeller. So this is not like something that's never happened before. So things are guaranteed to change. And even if, if they don't change in a short enough time period to influence you, in the meantime, you have people that can arbitrarily remove you. And the, the fact that the people who make those decisions are not people that you would want to have those decisions in their hands. If you meet the people who are making these decisions on removing people from networks, you would go, this is a kid, like with no experience about anything. And they've got my livelihood in their hands. That's exactly what's going on. And so you don't want to be left at, at their whim. And so the way you do that is you have to start building your own list of communication directly with mm -hmm. your prospects and customers with your network. And, and to go, to go back to your point, that list is more important than your website, your social media presence. That's actually your asset. Yeah. And you get to function with that asset. See, the, the asset for these social networks is attention. Google's asset is they want, they want to stay at the top of the heap for search. So that means they make decisions on what happens. And we've seen major updates to the Google search 
um, matrix that basically have upended, removed years of work in SEO. Yeah. We've seen that happen before. Over and over again. Because I think before Facebook came on the scene, SEO was the thing. Yeah, it was, absolutely. Everybody was, I mean, if Google made a change to AdWords, if Google made a change to the algorithm, mm-hmm. it, it could make and break people. Yeah. I remember in those days, up, you know, up until about 2008, mm-hmm. everybody was hanging with bated breath on what was Google going to do next. And I remember, ta- I remember talking to clients about this. I'd say, look, you have to understand that Google does not care if you sell anything on their platform. They don't care. At the end of the day, they're looking to answer the question of the search the best way possible. And if that means removing your site from their search, that's what that means. If that means putting somebody else over on top of you, that's what that means. Google wants to answer questions. It's all they care about. Facebook wants to attract attention. Every social media, I pick on Facebook, but Twitter, all the social media, giants or even small networks they care about the attention of the people that are on it they don't care about selling suzy q's you know bagels out of facebook they care does suzy q's bagels actually cause an attention problem for their platform and, and they will crush suzy q they will absolutely in a heartbeat it. and they won't think twice about it without a moment's thought yeah. and it's, it's they they've removed huge influencers from facebook and it's just a sign that they're trying to create their own brand of attention. And so, so we have to get back to your point about list building. That list just becomes more and more valuable. And one thing that we've seen is that even small lists can still serve you greatly as long as they're people that have actually purposely engaged with you. Even small lists of a few hundred you know, can, can actually make a big difference to a lot of small businesses. Well, I, I remember an article about um, an artist needs a thousand fans. I don't know if you ever saw this article. Yeah. yeah. And basically their premise was that if you're an artist, like a musician, the likelihood of you making it big is extremely small, like yeah. extremely small. However, if you could build a list of a thousand fans, mm-hmm. you could survive on your art. You could, you could thrive on your art. And when they talked about it, they're saying, you know, if a thousand fans each gave you a thousand dollars, that's a million. Yeah. So if you could get people that were that passionate about your art, whatever it was, that they would spend that much, you're at a million dollars. Now, what, uh, that's fine. Maybe I only need 200,000 to live on. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a way easier, right? We got to get them to spend $200 in some form with us. You know, that's a thousand people. And I've seen, um, you know, I, I've started a couple multi-million dollar businesses. And I will tell you that we never had over a couple thousand people as current customers in any yeah. of them. Yeah. You, if you have a couple thousand, somewhere between a thousand and a couple thousand customers, you can create a multi-million dollar business. And yeah. you're going to love it. They're going to love you. You can create excellent service experience for them. And it is just a joy. But at the center of all of that is you have to have that direct connection with those individuals. Isn't it funny how now it, it's almost the thing that's coming to mind when you were talking was that there are a lot of highly successful businesses out there, brick and mortar, that do very well on a thousand to two thousand customers. Um, they do fantastically well. 
Yeah. And the, the and they can is, last for decades. They can last for decades on that. I think I think the place where people get confused is that when they have, you know, fifty thousand followers on Facebook, they're actually not their customers. No. They are Facebook's customers. They are watching you. And you can leverage, you can do some things with that. It's not to say that they don't have any value. I, and I think people would be really disappointed if they actually saw the exposure. We talked about email. Yeah. And how, you know, that's kind of disappointing. You know, obviously I'm a huge fan of texting because I know it's going to be seen. Yeah. And the engagement is much higher as well, especially if your message is appropriate for the, I've got a new course out where I talk about all of that. Yeah. But, um, in in that you know I really go into and hammer you got to get your messaging right and you have to follow the rules of the medium, but I, I'm really really big on texting even over email because even in email, there are blacklists that will blacklist your, your oh, yeah. name, and then you've got to fight with people who have you have no recourse over that they will release you off of that list. No. You know you're totally at their call and you know in texting we do have some similar things, but I can tell you being very familiar with email and very familiar with texting, texting is much more forgiving if you follow the rules than email will ever be. And yeah, email is only going to get worse. I mean, and texting eventually will get too, but if you follow a few rules, which are pretty simple to follow, you will be fine with texting for a long time. And this phone number thing stays unique with people. Yeah. Like, I don't know about you, Jeb, but I have my phone number. I've had it. I've moved. It's not changing. My mobile phone number is probably the most consistent piece of contact information you'll ever have of me. Yeah. And, and that's pretty true for most people. There are some people that will change their number on the fly, but they probably have some reasons for that. Bill collectors, you know, so on. But for most people, they're going to keep that mobile phone number way more than they're going to keep an email address. And it's not going to change. They're not going to have a junk text, you know, cell phone number at some point. I, I really believe it's the most reliable point of contact that you can establish with a person. If you're going to build a network, mm -hmm. that's what I would build it on. I would okay. ask the email because it doesn't hurt you anything. It, it requires, it requires more discipline texting does, I think, because yeah. you do have a more, you have something of a limited attention span. I think you have to be more careful about how much you're texting. Yes. Um, it has more discipline attached to it. To your point about email, I have a client who has 2,500 email addresses from actual clients of his. Yeah. A third of them don't ever reach an inbox because one of the ISPs has decided they don't like the platform he's on. Like there's literally nothing, I've, I've gone to war, there's nothing this client's done. Totally out of your control. Totally out of control. And the ISP, who, by the way, is nearly impossible to get in touch with, is just basically like, yeah, so what? I mean, they don't care yeah. that their emails aren't going through because my client is not really their client on the same level. But it's a third of his list actually never sees a single email from him because the ISPs made a decision. Now, take that and now we use a, a texting platform that marries nicely with his overall management system those texts they always go through you know it's it's been something that he's careful with the strategy he doesn't text people all the time in fact i think he could probably get with a little bit more um 
but it's more of that direct communication. But the thing of it is, is that he still owns that list. So even at the texting platform, because in his line of work, those things kind of come and go. Sure. Um, in his line of work, even if that goes away, it's still his list. He's and the likelihood of that phone number being good 10 years in the future is much higher than the likelihood of those email addresses still being good 10 years in the future. My first cell number was with a cell phone company that hasn't existed for 24 years. Um, you know, it's uh, the last time I changed my phone number was in 2004. Yeah. And it's been through three companies since. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's something that stays the same where people a lot of times, especially if they use like their work emails and things like that, you know, sometimes they lose that. My own mother, her ISP went under, so she lost her email address. I mean, those things yeah. change frequently. Or now you're subject to, like if you're using Gmail, they start doing those tabs and how many of our emails are going into promotions now. Um, you know, it's become a real issue, whereas the texting um, is really just one of those direct, direct to consumer, direct to client, direct relationship sort of situations. Yeah. And it, what's interesting about texting is there's so much conflict between the major players mm -hmm. that it, it stabilizes it. Yeah. Not everybody's getting on board and going in different directions. And that stabilizes because it has to stay congruent throughout all of the carrier networks and the clients. And the clients now are Android and iPhone. Yeah. And if you think those two are ever going to do the same thing, you got another thing coming. You know what I mean? They can't agree on some core things. And so like there could be major advancements in texting, which would be cool. There's lots of benefits that come from it. I just don't see it happening in the next few years simply because of who's, who are the players that have to get on the same page. So one of the things that we've also seen now, I, I feel like, I feel like when some of those larger influencers suddenly got struck from the record, so to speak, when they yeah. lost their networks, some of the larger influencers, they've started utilizing texting to acquire their own list. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they're using these platforms and, and I think there's this, you know, it's something that, that we spoke of a little bit a while back. There's, there's this feeling of inaccessibility to some of the tools that a larger player might use. And I think that they're neglecting that they're smaller tools that are reasonable, like the ones you provide, where you can still have that same effect. You know, just because you don't have millions of followers that justify a really high expense doesn't mean you have to be out of the game. You can really... I think that's use. the beautiful part, is any, yeah. literally anybody can play in the game. Yeah. Like, like I know we have on one of our platforms, a lot of people that are doing direct sales. I yeah. call those baby entrepreneurs. You know, they, they don't actually operate the full business, but they're selling and they're getting a little taste of what it's like to start a business. Yeah. They're thriving in that kind of situation where they're building their own little network, mm -hmm. primarily texting. They're primarily receiving text messages as their method for lead generation and communication. And they're doing exceptionally well, even through the whole COVID thing. When yeah. all the, because th these were a lot of people that normally sold in person and suddenly mm -hmm. they had to change to online. But because they had developed their network before, they were able to make those transitions, which is the other thing that's really important is you know that life is going to change on you. Are you prepared to shift with it? That has a large amount to do with your, your kind of stickability, your ability to stay in the marketplace. And as people are doing, 
are doing more and more with things like webinars, Facebook lives, yeah, um, YouTube lives and things like that. The quickest response that we can get to people, I mean, is just, is just the better off we are. And the, and the more we can bring them into the fold and build that relationship, um, that's where the power really comes in. So you're, you're building that, that relationship and that connection with the people that are responding to you in a really intentional way. Um, and we started seeing some of that, like back when keywords first came up with keyword texting, we started seeing where, you know, um, speakers, like if somebody was speaking in a group back then in person, of course, you know, with say a few hundred people, they could add people to their networks quite easily. And I could easily see where, depending on the type of business they are, you know, they could, they could forego some of the more traditional marketing methods and just rely on building their list, taking care of their list. It's a lot of the stuff we used to hear with email marketing, but now that email is just harder to punch through some of those barriers, um, using a tool like texting has an immense amount of power. Well, so that gets kind of to my, I guess, the, the central part of my argument, which yeah. I understand is controversial. And I, I appreciate you, you know, kind of fighting back against it versus just rolling over, which I would expect <laughs> from someone whose name of their business is Savage Beast. <laughs> but... Absolutely. <laughs> The central core of it is there are so many places to be, so many things to do that a smart business owner has to actually pick their battles because they can't possibly be effective in all of the fronts. Yeah. You know, in a, in a battle, if you're on 10 different fronts, you're losing because you, you'll, you'll never have enough resources to effectively put them equally on all fronts. Yeah. So if you can isolate your battle down to one front or two fronts, that's where you're going to get your best results is when you can actually focus your efforts in those. And so that's, that's why my contention is that. Now, I'll, I'll close on this. This is a very interesting one. Obama started recently capturing cell phone numbers <laughs> using the, the existing networks that he has. So uh, the, the person that shared this with me was on Twitter, followed him on Twitter. Now, you know, we all know that the the social networks and tech industry generally leans left anyway. So is Obama really at a threat of being removed from any network? I would say highly unlikely. Highly unlikely. Yeah. But he doesn't own the network. You know, and so for whatever reason he made this move right now. And so and maybe it's just for the whole party that he's part of. And so taking all politics out of it, you look at this move, he's moving to collect cell phone numbers from people who have um, admiration for and follow him. So mm -hmm. people he has influence over mm -hmm. and he's collecting their cell phone numbers. He's making them feel heard by having them communicate with his network. I think that he'll have a team of people that are responding in order to really yeah. solidify the connection because it's not going to be Obama sitting with a cell phone responding to millions of people. No. <laughs> so he's going to have a bunch of interns working for him or, you know, political operatives responding to those people, but essentially sinking in or making that connection with people over the cell phone network, which I thought was very fascinating considering he, I mean, of all the people, I would think he'd be the last one that would be cut off of any of the social networks. Yeah. And yet his advisors at least are seeing the wisdom in him creating a personal connection on his own network where he has those mobile phone numbers available to him independent of what anybody else might want to say or do. 
I think that one of the things that we have with social media to credit social media is that we have an unlimited opportunity to share our stories and our solutions with people. Yeah. And we start looking at that as really the top of that funnel. Instead of the end. Yeah. Instead of the ends, I think that we can have some really compelling wins and start going like, okay, so we have this audience, like some networks are really, they're kind of, a desert for information. If you go on LinkedIn, you're likely to see posts that are several weeks old, at least several days old. Yeah. A huge network on LinkedIn. I'm here to tell you that in the first cup after the first page or so, I'm looking at stuff two or three weeks old. Um, you know, we can use these social networks at the top and then use it to capture and actually create our list. We have to get out of the mindset that social media is our list. It's our exposure perhaps. Yes. But it's not our list. And so you can build, and I, and I do agree with you to a point, you can build a compelling business, building lists through social media. You know, I'd encourage people to use multiple channels. Absolutely. But if you look at it like, this is how I'm attracting my audience, this is how I'm attracting my list, then you use the list as any good, as any good marketer would, you know, to do a lot of content share, a lot of valuable solution share. Um, you know, maybe ask, have a call to action at the end or something, you know, but really share valuable things that people look forward to and just nurture and take care of that list. I, I'd say a list that was 10% the size of your, of your social media following is more valuable than social media following. So using that social media platform, be it TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, you know, or anything else um, as like that top and, and consistently funneling people into your own list is going to be the key. And the exciting thing is just how accessible that plan is. Yeah. I mean, you, you can do it with no money. If you have money, you can accelerate. Okay. So we're drawing to the end because it, we've had a good discussion, but I want to kind of sum up everything I've heard from you and what I'm thinking into an action plan that people could actually take. Okay. So what I would say is this, and I want you to add to it as your closing argument. But what I would say is this, identify what network you are good on, because you're not going to be good on all of them. And if I go look at influencers that are very successful, they're usually only on one, but you might have two that, you know, that you're really good on. That's fine. Find the, the up to three. I wouldn't go more than three is my recommendation, but find those networks that you're good on, where your people are and where you can connect with them and focus on connection on social media. I mean, so it's in the name, social. Focus on connection. Now that connection happens through delivery of value and also engagement. So go ahead and do that and then invite them to enter into your private network through a, a text call to action. That's what I would do. So if I'm providing videos, I'd say, hey, if you want to get more insight into this, go ahead and text. Like my call to action is learn to 949-835-5300 and you'll get my book, The Messaging Connection. And so that's kind of the one that I always will throw out there. But have that keyword and phone number call to action that you incorporate into all those social media posts, videos, whatever it is, is, hey, if you want to get on the inside, this is what you do. Then you give special information to people that are on the inside. So, hey, I, I didn't post this into the, the public area. Um, this is an unlisted video I want to share with you. If you're like on a YouTube thing, that's a way you could leverage that. So I just recorded a special video where I kind of go more in depth into what I talked about earlier today. So if you want to get that insight, go there. You start feeding them that way and then you do call to actions to actually 
spend money with you to become an actual customer. That is the, the approach that I take and that I would recommend people take is build up that inside network um, with your external network, your, your social network. And you know, you don't have to be like, to your point, Jeb, you don't have to be popular with even like thousands of people. I've seen people create really valuable companies to your point with a thousand. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that you look at these things as increasing the value. So it's part of your value ladder. You have like your base of information you're giving out that should still have value. It still should be complete. Um, but your next step up just requires more and encourages more and more connection as you go through that value ladder to eventually get to those, to those sales and shares of sales. And, and it's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, we need to step away from this idea that the entirety of your system is reliant on some platform and something you don't own. And so you have to make that offer attractive enough. You know, you do a book offer, Sometimes those offers can be things like, um, you know, they can be about anything, books, they can be special videos, they can be um, infographics or tips or tricks or whatever. Yeah. You just need to add enough value to get them into closer into your network because the goal is you're a lot better off with 100 raving fans than you are with 10,000 followers. You just are. Um, and I think that if you view it, if you view social media as like that first rung in your ladder or the top of that funnel, and then you just try to draw people in closer and closer with better connection and actually using social media to its finest points, which are that interaction, you have a winning game plan for developing into almost a limitless number of niches and across the board with using those people, that relationship with those people to provide better service and usually better services reward with more business. Uh, excellent. I think that's a great place to close. Thank you so much, Chad. Best way for people to get a hold of you. The best way to get a hold of me now is to text the word poke. Um, like we've used poke in uh, Facebook and such, so the word poke, P-O-K-E, -E, yeah. to 928-440-9096. Um, that's the best way to get a hold of me and the best way to find out where I'm at in social media and things like that. Say that uh, number, that phone number one more time. I think they got the word poke. It's texting poke to 928-440-9096. Awesome. It warms my heart when somebody has a texting call to action. Yeah. If you guys have questions about anything that we talked about here and you want to ask me those questions, you can just text me at 760-621-8199. And uh, we'll be happy to answer any of those questions that came up for you. And I think people could just probably text you directly at that number as well, right? Yep. Yep. They can okay. text me at number as well. Yeah. Hopefully uh, this has caused you to think a little bit differently. That I think that's probably the most valuable thing you can do in business is to think a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. uh, that's where your real breakthroughs going to come, come from. And uh, I really appreciate you making time to be with us, Jeb. Hope uh, you have a great day. Thank you, Ryan.